and welcome to the ID Talk Podcast. My name is Peter Counter, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, the Internet's leading resources for identity and biometrics education and expertise. On this episode of ID Talk, I am joined by Tim Brown, Global Identity Officer for Prove, a provider of platform-based identity verification and authentication. Brown and I discuss identity verification in financial services and healthcare, and those are a fascinating pair of topics since the financial sector is often cited as an example of how much potential the healthcare space holds for strong identity technologies. We start off by reviewing the current identity threats facing financial services providers and dig into the best strategies for mitigating fraud and keeping up in the ongoing security arms race. From there, we launch into our healthcare conversation. We discuss how identity verification can improve patient outcomes, some lesser known healthcare use cases, and how to address persistent adoption challenges in the healthcare space. It's always a pleasure to have Tim on the podcast, so let's get straight to it. Here's Proves Global Identity Officer Tim Brown, right here on the ID Talk podcast. I'm joined now by Tim Brown, Global Identity Officer at Prove, and today we're going to discuss the game-changing applications of identity verification in financial services and healthcare. Tim, thank you for joining me on ID Talk. Thank you for having me, Peter. It's been a little while, but I'm glad to be back. It has been. It's always a pleasure to have you here, and, and I'm glad to have you back. I'd like to start off on the topic of fraud in the financial sector. So, as we know, fraud is constantly evolving as fraudsters, bad actors, hackers, they attempt to outpace security innovation. So my first question for you is, what are the most pressing fraud threats that are facing fintech today? It's interesting. I, I, I think it, hidden in that question, you just outline what most of us think about when we think about fraud. Uh, mm -hmm. That's thir third party fraud. That's when you have a hacker or somebody you know, nefariously password stuffing or breaking into your account or, um, you know, getting into your laptop and getting access to those things. Um, but this, you know, I think for, for 23, I think we're seeing an emergence of um, large scale emergence of, of new types of fraud, or at least, uh, or, or refocusing on fraud, like, like old types of fraud are, are, are showing back up things like, mm -hmm. uh, like check stealing and things like that, getting them, stealing them out of your mailbox. Um, Sort of old school fraud, if you will, uh, but um, I think more uh, importantly, or or I guess if you're a bank or fintech, that uh, what becomes more interesting is that things like third first person fraud, where you know I'm 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 attempting to defraud you by claiming I didn't conduct that trans that transaction, or things like authorized push payment fraud, uh, where you know there's a, a lot in the news over the last six months about um, you know somebody convincing you know John Doe to uh, transfer money to them across a, a payment network and um, you know defrauding them that way mm -hmm. absolutely and I mean that really fits into my next question here because it really seems like as and, and we've seen this in, in some of our research and reporting it seems like as the system itself has really uh, sh you know shored up its borders uh, to protect from direct attacks, it really seems like identity and the human being becomes the 
the vector of attack there, right? So, I mean, my next question is, what identity strategies are really best for mitigating these fraud threats that you're you're outlining there? Well, it you know, I think we've all experienced various types of identity strategies that are cumbersome. Things like uh, when you know present your driver's license and your selfie. I think that became uh, grew in popularity over the. Uh, pandemic as people were trying to access, you know, unemployment benefits or, um, you know, uh, benefits for, you know, economic recovery, things like that. Um, but th those are grounded in not just the, the you know, document authentication types of strategies, but also in risk-based authentication. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we've seen with, with risk-based authentication or RBAs is that uh, they rely on an ever dwindling supply of data points. Um, you know, things like IP addresses, email addresses, those types of things, uh, you know, as a, especially when you look at things that Apple is doing for to preserve privacy through their mobile platforms, uh, they're starting to discount or discontinue access to those types of data points. So like, you know, hiding your IP address or hiding your email, randomly generating email or that's anonymous for you when you're you know accessing a new account or something like that. Um, those are really kind of pulling the legs out on those stools of RBAs, making it more and more challenging for them to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we do at Prove, which has been, uh, we, we believe is quite effective, is actually uh, we made an early bet on cryptographic authentication uh, instead of RBAs. And uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, we, we rely on um, a cryptographic truth or something that's bound directly to the to the individual, like a mobile phone, uh, specifically the SIM card and mobile phone. And we tie that back quite well to the individual to a point that it's a deterministic authentication um, that allows us to prove that you're, uh, that Tim is indeed holding his phone uh, and is in interacting with us when, we, when he's onboarding as a new client into a, into a platform or uh, creating a new account or something like that, or, or you know, it's 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 a a way for us to be able to um, quickly authenticate you or you know bind your identity to the uh, to the device and then be able to leverage that in future authentication attempts. It's it's a it's a very elegant approach to um, solving the problem that doesn't rely on all these this consumption of all these different data signals that uh, that are slowly getting phased out by because of privacy. Um, privacy implementations by the platform vendors. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's really where I think the, the industry kind of has to go in order to survive is that that privacy first, you know, core uh, identity at the core uh, philosophy. Um, and I also want to just quickly thank you for using yourself in that example, often as a, a, a <laughs> podcast, people are always casting me as the fraud victim or the fraudster. <laughs> so, yeah, no worries. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make a note of that. So next time I can, I can point that out. Um, you, you know, it's really interesting. You know, you, you'd asked about some of the challenges to um, fintechs and financial institutions. And the first question, I think when you, when you go back and you look at, you know, what, what are the technologies that are being deployed to be able to, uh, attack that or address those challenges. I mean, it's not just the the identity verification side of it where we're, we're establishing the identity, but it's like, it's the identity reuse, right? It's, mm -hmm. the, you know, I, I think, um, you know, FIDO2 and, you know, was, you know, pass keys, uh, Apple and Google and Samsung made a big splash this past year talking about how they were implementing the FIDO2 specification um, to, to enable, enable a passwordless future. 
um, where we can finally not have to worry about, you know, remembering thousands of passwords or, you know, coming up with very cryptic password approaches or, you know, long phrases or something like that, I think is going to be a big, big push towards um, securing our, our online future. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I've always been pretty, you know, bullish about password, you know, passwordless authentication, you know, I've been part of the uh, the Fido Alliance and now proves back into the Fido Alliance, which is great. Um, we're, you know, in, in looking at how we bind strongly bind identity to that uh, passwordless credential is going to be paramount though, because I mean, it's one thing to say that you're, you know, it's okay. We can, you know, replace your password. You know, have to use password when you're logging in. Um, but, uh, you know, you really want to make sure that that Tim is indeed the person who's trying to log in and, and, and establish that password passwordless credential. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's all about, you know, we use the term uh, trust anchor, but then it's about you right. know, using that anchor and then and then having a strong, uh, a very strong, like uh, unbreakable chain of trust that is constantly referencing that trust anchor. Um, I wanted to also ask, because we've sort of outlined um, the, uh, you know, the ways that this, this, this issue can be addressed but you know you mentioned that early on prove sort of bet on the cryptographic uh paradigm that you guys go through and i'm wondering you know kind of carrying that forward how does prove stay ahead in this arms race that we've sort of outlined between fraudsters and identity and security you know that's that is a excellent question. I think we, you know, we have a a pretty robust um, roadmap for where we are going to go in twenty three and beyond. Um, you know, we're you know we're obviously, I mean, things like expansion of uh, of our of our reach globally. So we're starting to to get into more countries to be able to provide the types of services that we do here in the United States. Um, you know technology or you know the the types of signals that we leverage to be able to establish that cryptographic authentication be it um a mobile authentication or um you know data reliant on, on mobile operators may ver- may vary depending on the areas that we're in so we're looking at new and novel ways to be able to approach some of those problems um to be able to um, ascertain whether you know devices in the hands of the person that's supposed to be in there um so i think there's going to be you know, as we go global, it's going to there are going to be challenges around how we um, how we approach the trying to answer that cryptographic question. Um, leveraging things like obviously leveraging things like FIDO2 or passkeys is going to be be crucial too. And as you point, I, I really like that that term um, trust anchor. You know, making sure that we are anchoring our trust uh, where where it needs to be, mm-hmm. um, and, and with the right identity. I I think that. You know, we also have to be flexible because I think there are going to be some some verticals that we target. You know, we you know we briefly touched on healthcare earlier. Um, you know, in our previous in our previous conversations that we've had, uh, verticals like healthcare and federal government spaces where they're always going to or at least going to rely on um, document authentication. So being able to enable uh, technologies that power document authentication and selfie capture simply because of the regulations that are in place to require that things like NIST 863 here in the United States, um, will we will be looking to make that much better. Um, mm-hmm. you know, personal plug, I'm, you know, we're getting ready to push out a, a blog post of mine that talks about how, 
you know, cryptographic authentication, specifically the platform that we call Pinnacle here uh, internally, um, can can power and can improve and handle attack much attacks like uh, video injection and things like that much better. Uh, those are things that plague uh, that type of uh, those types of technologies. So I think you know we'll we'll as we start going globally and you know and start pushing into some of these other verticals, we'll we'll be um, making things much better by partnerships and things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I you know, and, and also looking at how additional keys that are out there that that we can leverage, um, be it you know device-based keys, um, you know these you know additional FIDO keys or FIDO tokens, those types of things. Um, you know, looking at new technologies to help us rebind in the future, so not not being so reliant on some of those other technologies that I talked about from mobile operators. Things like how do we go in, um, you know, use different types of technologies, behavioral, um, you know, we, you know, we have a, a wonderful gate technology that, that came into our company a couple of years ago that uh, we're, you know, when we go to do a rebind rather than making it so heavy on the user to go out and query mobile operators, networks and things like that, you know, how do we, uh, how can we manage that reissuance through technologies like uh, behavioral? I think uh, that, that coupled with uh, establishing a very large reusable identity base um, that's that's actually uh, my new role here is to to figure out how we can you know build a strategy around uh, identity reusability globally. Uh, so anybody in the uh, in the, in the digital ecosystem of the world uh, wants to participate by having a reusable identity that they can take with them across the uh, across the the digital ecosystem. You know to to interact with varying different types of properties and merchants and things like that. We want to be the ones that empower that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, as as an end user, that is music to my ears. Um, <laughs> there's there's nothing more frustrating than having to go through that high friction process of re-enrolling and, you know, and then as a, you know, putting my ID talk host uh, hat back on, it's uh, also kind of alarming to think about sort of the the trail of um, of devices with your identity information that you you leave behind. Um, That's so right. That's a really, you know, exciting future. You mentioned healthcare, which we've talked about before, but I'd like to talk about it again because healthcare, you know, it still is one of the biggest potential markets for identity verification. And I, uh, I mean, before we started this call, we were already kind of talking about this a little bit. Just it's only the need for identity verification in the health space has only grown in the past few years. So. My first question about healthcare is how can identity verification improve patient outcomes and hospital operations? Well, I mean, that, that starting you on a big that, one. <laughs> that's as I said, it's a broad question, right? I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously identity, patient identity is, is crucial. I mean, I'd say patient and, and provider identity is crucial in, in, in all those things. Um, so establishing a, that you are who you are, you're supposed to be when you walk through the door or, um, more importantly, when you're sitting in a remote uh, session uh, with your your provider, uh, is is important. It's you know important for our privacy. It's important that you're um, you, you're getting the medications that you should have. That your doctor is just not you know talking to somebody who is you know that that's uh, that's not you. I mean that's that's behave, act, trying to act like you. Um, there's you know, telehealth is a big one. I, I think as the as we've gotten back to normalcy in the world, obviously uh, a touchless 
uh, space inside of hospitals is going to become important. So interacting with kiosks and uh, things like that, where you, you know, you'll use a mobile phone or something to, um, to check in to, you know, you're going in for your morning surgery that I can walk in and interact with a, a kiosk. Well, how do I make sure that it's, that's Tim that I'm interacting with and not, and not Peter coming in uh, because he, you know, really is anxious to get the same, yeah, coming to get my colonoscopy, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, so I think there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, from a patient's perspective, there's a, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for us to improve uh, the interaction and outcomes through positive identity verification. On the flip side of that, from a provider perspective, I think it's, you know, clearly um, having the right people access patient data uh, is is important. So whether it's in uh, you know hospital network systems or or um, you know a doctor sitting at home trying to do uh, prescriptions for controlled substances uh, from their mobile device, those types of things that require positive doctor ID as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean that's that's something that we uh, is often left out of these conversations is the importance of the. Uh, identity verification on behalf of the providers because you know just thinking about one option here uh or one one threat vector is is the the controlled substances you mentioned you know there are there's an opioid crisis uh on our continent right now in north america Mm -hmm. and you know the the door swings both ways on on where um where those you know controlled substances can leak out in into uh the communities and uh, that's obviously very dangerous um you know like i said we don't really talk too much about um provider id but are there any other uh use cases for identity verification in healthcare that often go overlooked yeah i would think um i was i was actually sitting here as we're talking thinking about um you know, our, our routine trips to the pharmacy uh, to pick up my prescriptions. I mean, I, I think w- when you and I talked back in 2018, 2019, you know, with a, a lot of, lot of discussion about mobile identity and uh, how uh, one of the, one of the shining use cases that we talked about was uh, Tim goes and picks up his, um, his medicine from the pharmacy. I use a remote locker or, um, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, um, you know, delivery, um, pharmacy, you know, I'm applying for it online to make sure I can, you know, I can get it mailed to me, those types of things. I, I, uh, I, I see that pharmacies are, are an area that are in, in prescription delivery is an area that's, that's ripe for, for, a, you know, basically overturning the, the current paradigm. Um, I, I wonder, I look at technologies like verify credentials that are bound to a strong identity um, and think about how those things on a mobile phone will uh, really kind of drive us to, you know, being able to carry my, have a doctor issue directly to my prescription, and my prescription to my my mobile, my verified credential, my wallet on my device, and then I can take that to whatever pharmacy I want. Um, it, it's sort of interesting to me when I think about um, the interaction that we currently have. So I go to, I go, I walk down the road or I drive down the road to my, go see my doctor, he gives me a prescription, he calls the pharmacy, lets them know I'm coming to get it. And I show up at the pharmacy nine times out of ten. It seems like they don't they don't have any record of it anyway. So right. then 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 the next thing that happens is like three or four phone calls back to the doctor's office if they answer at all because they get routed out to a uh, you know to an answering service or something like that. That that just seems mind boggling to me that we have 
such a, a clumsy and antiquated system that's sort of these this this triangular approach to um, passing a, you know moving data securely or 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 making sure that the right identity right person is holding that. Um, I look at a technology like a decentralized ID or uh, verified credentials where I can stuff a have my doctor simply just issue my prescription into my wallet. You know, it's signed by it's you know digitally signed by him or her, and I can walk that to the pharmacy, and they don't care that the doctor is not available. Um, I can, you know, just present that. They can validate the signature. They know that it's authentic based on that digital signature, and they can issue that to me, knowing that I have the right identity as well, because it's all rooted in a that that root of trust or that that it's bound to my to my person, and, and all that's tied onto a mobile device. You know, to loop back to what we we're talking about earlier. Um, you know, that's, that's cryptographically bound to me. Um, and I have a very high assurance that the identity is uh, who they claim to be. Yeah, for sure. And that, that level of trust really, I mean, uh, it's obviously it's a, it's a convenience issue, but I think sometimes when we're talking about healthcare specifically, it's easy to, to think about this in terms of, oh, you know, it's really annoying that I have to do these things uh, twice, or sometimes they don't have my medication. But, you know, we are talking about things like medication. And that's not, that's not like, you know, something that should be uh, treated frivolously. Right. Some people need it for very serious, um, very serious maladies. Um, and, and so it's, it's really great. And then on a, um, a, just a, uh, an operational standpoint, we know that there are some incoming changes to HIPAA that are going to require the transfer, safe transfer of that information to be, you know, even faster than it needs to be now. And so it just seems like a, a the right solution for, uh, for healthcare. Um, but on that note, you know, like you said, we've, we had a similar conversation to this, uh, many years ago and, um, you know, even back then, it, we, our industry generally has, has saw, seen or positioned healthcare as sort of the next big space in uh, identity biometrics, identity verification, uh, and people see it as sort of having the same potential as uh, financial services. But resource and cost barriers are still stalling that uptake. My question is, you know, right now in 2023, what can be done to address adoption challenges for identity verification in healthcare so we can start to see this, uh, this like more convenient, safer world that uh, you're painting a picture of? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, you know, the, the, the cost barriers when we're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry is, a, is a, um, an interesting way to put it, right? So this is an industry <laughs> that's, that, has a, that has spends tons of money and that we, you know, we all have sticker shock when we look at our, our healthcare payments, our, our premium payments every month, right? Um, you know, they, they, until recently, I think they've had little incentive to invest in secure and high quality digital experiences. And I, but, but I think that we, uh, you know, we can thank, we can thank Apple, we can thank a lot of these uh, companies who have, who have built premium customer experiences along the way over the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, that as consumers, we're starting to demand more from our healthcare providers. It's a, you know, a long, I mean, I logging into my, my insurance company's uh, website now is a, has come a long way since the, you know, you know, 2010 or, or, you know, going back several years. So it's, I think we're, we're, it's getting better. I think people, they're starting to invest and they're starting to realize that um, we're, 
as consumers are demanding more of that, you know, we look at, you know, there's, there's opportunities for us to improve the experiences that, that patients have that are, you know, onboarding while keeping security very high. Uh, so as, you know, as, as healthcare companies are starting to look at uh, ways to get, to bring more patients in or get them more into the digital eco ecosystems or spheres, they're, you know, they need ways that they can reliably onboard and, uh, and acquire new customers or existing customers to make sure that they, they are who they are. And uh, they want to do that in a way that's uh, pleasing to the end user. And I think, so I think that we'll start to see more investments there simply because consumers are demanding it. We're uh, and, and like you said, right, that there, there are, um, you know, regulations that are being put in place to be able to laws that are pushing this. I mean, yeah, not just here in the United States, you can look at the EU and, and their EIDAS uh, regulations are mandating that, um, you know, that healthcare, they call out specifically healthcare use cases is one of the, uh, one of the areas that we have to enforce a much more improved uh, identity experience. And specifically, they're talking about verified credentials over there. Um, and, but here in the United States, it's, you know, I think, I think we'll see, you know, both government push and consumer push to improve the experiences that we have. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, you, you started off with just like a really great point is that it's uh, a lot of times when we talk about cost uh, adoption barriers, it really isn't um, a prioritization uh, issue and not a cost issue. And so hopefully this, you know, the awareness and education uh, really does start to push it. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder too, if, if some of this will come from the providers as well. I mean, I think, you know, there's a scaling healthcare and, and give, making it more accessible to, uh, more people, I think is, you know, it will, I think, I think COVID ac accelerated sort of this whole telehealth movement where we can call in and talk to, to our, to our doctors for, you know, you've got a sore throat. You want to know what it is. You know, it's not, it's not, not, doesn't necessitate a, certainly doesn't need a trip to the ER and it, you know, and you, it doesn't need to go in, you don't need to go into an office to see your doctor for that. Um, I think you'll see more of that. So I suspect that that providers are also very interested in, uh, driving um, access through telehealth and things like that, because you're, you're, um, you're going to scale better, gives them an opportunity to kind of see more patients. Um, you know, maybe drives drives their own profit motives, those types of things. We, you know, just just uh, keeps them safe too, right? I mean, mm -hmm. during COVID, it was, you know, I, I remember going to my doctor during COVID and it was, you know, they, they, would, they were seeing like one or two patients an hour simply because they had to keep us spaced apart. Um, and and now they're, you know, they're able to have a much, much better ability to see more patients in a safe way uh, through, through telehealth. But of course, because of the regulations that are out there, you want to make sure you're seeing the right patient. And uh, course, so, yeah. so both sides, I think, I, you know, similar to the earlier conversation, you know, uh, about controlled substances and, you know, doctor patient uh, access to data, it's, it's, um, we'll see, a, I think, pushes on both sides of the coin here. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it it's it's the missing link to really make that digital channel for healthcare uh really viable, like a viable option for patients for patient care. Um right. so we're just about out of time here, but before we go, um I know you mentioned a little bit about what's ahead for 2023, but what can we expect from Prove in the coming year? Um I I think we're going to have a we're going to continue to grow. Um it's it's interesting I think as a company I'm I'm pretty excited to, I'm well I'm very excited to be here uh that the um, you know as a, a, we see a lot of tech companies that are you know struggling or had rapid expansion and now they're they're um 
uh, having a hard time keeping up. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of uh, layoffs in the industry. I think uh, Prove is well positioned to, to be successful through 23 and beyond. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at some new verticals uh, like iGaming, uh, like which are continuous, you know, continue to enjoy a lot of a lot of growth. I mean, obviously, healthcare is very interesting to me, um, and I think we'll we'll probably see a lot of pushing in that direction too. Um, we will, you know, our global expansion. You know, we're we're moving into other countries like uh, Brazil and India, United Kingdom, um, keeping a close eye on the EU uh, specifically because of the their work, you know, the, the the push in verify credential space and, and how that's going to apply out to uh, their population for interacting at different verticals there. So I think, I, I think that um, we are, we'll, we'll see some, we'll, we'll see some exciting growth. We'll continue our trajectory in 23 and beyond. Um, right. You know, reusable identity is very interesting to me. It always is. How can I, how can I walk my identity around um, the world, the digital world and, and trust that it's the same, it's, you know, it's the same. I'm, and I have, I have my uh, control or agency over my identity, so I can, you know, share with the right people, knowing what exactly that I am sharing, so being privacy enhancing and things like that. Fantastic. Well, I mean, that's a that's really exciting uh, to hear, and and I can I can only uh, agree and, and look forward to our next conversation as that as that kind of comes comes to fruition. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for joining me again on ID Talk. Love having you here. Hope to have you back soon. Before we go, how can our listeners get in touch with you to learn more about the topics we discussed today? Thanks, Peter. Yeah, uh, our list, your listeners are uh, welcome to email me at tim.brown at prove.com uh, or they can check out our website at www.prove.com. Fantastic. And uh, check out the, uh, look for those links in the show notes. Uh, you can just scroll down on your device and click on them and you can get in touch with Tim. Thanks again, Tim. Really looking forward to our next Thanks, Peter. And so concludes my interview with Tim Brown, Global Identity Officer at Prove. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, visit Prove.com or follow the links in the show notes. And for everything else identity, stay posted to Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. I would like to thank Tim Brown for returning to the podcast and Logamrad for providing our podcast theme music. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.